and I started to actually create what was a no list. So in all my contracts still to this day, it is a list of things I won't do. And before I go to work, um, it is put into my contract and the individual will see it, the client will look at it, and they have to sign the actual paper of mine plus the contract. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Glory Media, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from each other, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Hi, Coco. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. You are such a beacon of uh, the fashion industry here, but also culture and and not just Canada, but also just the bigger picture here too. So it's I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thank you. I appreciate all that. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Um, I wanted to start off our chat just kind of, you know, from a bird's eye view uh, and start off with like a you know, a bit of a bigger philosophical question we can say. Um, and that is like, what do you think is the most interesting thing that's happening in fashion today? Oh my goodness. Most interesting? Who knows? Personally, but from your I perspective. I'm, what I'm noticing, this sort of fearful idea of what AI could do to fashion, um, I think that's where we're at a, like a huge you know, intersection, because in the past, fashion's always just carried on with trends and ideas and what's going on in pop culture and historically and political. But this mm. is like a new advent, um, you know, a new beginning, honestly, to understanding what this could do to modeling, to the designers, to these houses. I mean, it, it really is like this moment in time where we really don't know what's going to happen. I talk about it a lot with my husband, who is also my manager. And, you know, um, he says, I remember the time before the internet and after the internet. I remember the time before social media and after social media, you know, but now it's like before AI has been our whole life and now it's going to be and after AI. So what that will look like to this industry, who knows? But I think <laughs> some people are very fearful and some people just questioning, will this do anything at all? Right, right. And I think that's so interesting, specifically within the lens of fashion, because fashion has always been such a reflection of the times, a barometer mm -hmm. of the times, and is really kind of like a timestamp on what we value as a society and, and what's going on in the bigger picture. So this intersection between artificial intelligence and the large picture on technology and where that plays with fashion um, will be really interesting to see how that plays out in the next, in the next few years. Who knows how long it'll take? For sure. I mean, the great thing about fashion is they're very behind in a lot. So <laughs> if anything, I think, you know, we see what the actors are going through right now. We will mm. see musicians and songwriters. I think fashion will be the last to really jump on this. So maybe we'll learn from the other industries or maybe just be stubborn in that they don't believe they need it. But sure enough, we will jump on it like everyone else. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully we've learned along the way. And I do want to talk to you about the industry overall and just kind of its resistance to change in certain circumstances as well. But before that, you know, you're obviously an icon of the, of the fashion industry. And in particular, of course, an incredible Canadian success story. What do you think from your perspective is Canada's unique 
point of view on fashion that has led to its contribution to the industry overall? It's a good one. Um, <clears throat> you know what? Sometimes I have a hard time, even though I'm Canadian, even though I respect everything. And, you know, like there is so much talent out of Canada when it does come to the fashion industry. I just sometimes find it interesting that um, Canadians find to just look to the, the border, meaning America, and say, hey, what are they doing? That's what we should be doing. So sometimes I think, you know, we maybe because we're too close in, in literally on a map to America where we can really look to it to like direct us. But sometimes it, when, when Canada does just like step back and goes, hey, wait a second, look at our talent. Look how amazing they are um, to, to help them, like especially the younger generation mm. of designers and stylists and writers. Uh, that will only help Canadian, um, the Canadian industry of fashion to progress like any other sort of industry. So I have a hard time sometimes with Canada because I love it to death and they're the best and the sweetest. And, the, and when I see my hair makeup artists, like I'm like, oh, Canadian, high five, you're the best. But one thing we seem to do is like we don't seem to trust our, our, our like uh, what we have. Like we feel like we need someone else's direction or someone else's opinion. Mm. And I'm not saying that that's wrong or right. It's just fascinating to see because we they're good, they're amazing. Um, but there are some great you know um, benefits of being Canadian because there is such a small niche of talented designers and small niche of models, and it's just such a small area that they can focus well. Whereas if you do look at say Europe or America, you have to get into something like the CFDA for them to even notice or recognize you to be uh, considered, you know, like um, an up and comer. Right. And that Canada definitely can step, d does it better, I will say. Right. So I think it's still working on it because even as a Canadian model, I felt like I had to leave Canada in order for Canada to, you know, look at me and go, Hey, you're a Canadian. We love you. Come on back, sort of thing. Yeah. It's a conversation a lot of Canadians, and we just actually uh, had a few of us Canadian models do a shoot together. I saw and that. The conversation we all talked about saying, isn't it funny how we felt like we had to leave in order to kind of come back? Want an added layer of protection as you go about your day-to-day -day life without compromising style or function? Telus Smartwear Security is a line of discreet personal safety devices disguised as charms, bracelets, necklaces, and keychains. They're perfect for everyday wear. Each device is equipped with a hidden button on the back that, when double-clicked, will instantly text your GPS location to your selected contacts and a Telus security agent who can dispatch emergency services to your location in a time of need. Whether you're coming home late from work, out and about with friends, or enjoying an evening run, TELUS is here to help you take control of your personal safety. Just select your device, add a smartware security monitoring plan, download the app to your smartphone, and you're ready to go. To learn more about TELUS and its line of smartware security personal safety devices, visit www.telus.com smartware. Do you find that that, uh, that uh, perspective is slowly changing just given Canada's cultural exports and kind of success stories, especially in recent years with, you know, in music, in film, um, and, and also in business, like we have some of these, these biggest kind of brands like Shopify, Essence, uh, Lululemon that have decided to keep their headquarters in Canada and operate out of Canada. Do you think that that mindset 
is slowly shifting from your your perspective at all? I, I mean, yes, I'm sure it is changing. I bet you. I always tell up and coming models, like, where should I live in the world? And I'm like, well, where do you see yourself? Don't worry about like where the work is at. And I think that's what some companies and some um, uh, individuals feel like Canada is just like an appropriate place to be and, you know, respect that that's where they came from. That's where their roots were. So yeah, for sure. There are so many people that are like, I'm staying here and this is where home is. Yeah. Um, and I think social media helps it too. You know, before it was like yellow pages. You need to get to the door, knock on the door for someone to give you a chance. Now social media is there to really like, that is our knock on the door. We're able to communicate with whoever we want around the world. And you can find your core group of people better and easier um, through social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking at your career path, I mean, you've truly summited a, a very difficult and exclusive industry to be successful in. What do you think makes a good, you know, successful model today? And, and, and how do you, how, what, what does it mean to embrace the mindset and the philosophy of a successful model today? <laughs> yeah. You know what? So I, I train models every three weeks at Coco, Coco Rocha Model Camp. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is how so many models will enter kind of like, okay, so I've been denied. They told me no, they don't want me. And so what's wrong with me kind of scenario. And I kind of remind them that like they're beautiful people everywhere. So it's not that you physically are not it. Maybe it is, but I sometimes say it kind of, you, you might need to dig a little deeper. It could potentially be, you're just not the right fit because you show up late. You are not a great business person. You don't communicate well. Your agents find it frustrating to get, you know, you in the room and converse with you. And these are just like maybes. But I think too many models think of this like, well, you know what? I've been told my whole life I'm good looking, that I should be a model. And now here I'm taking this leap of faith and no one wants me. But they've really never done like the mindset of what's to own a business. What's it like to, to be a professional person? And these little things, if models could just, you know, focus on that, potentially, I'm not saying you're going to be some uber star, but at least you will find a shift in your career. People will look at you differently and respect you differently. Um, at least that's where I think it starts from. So it's not just about the pretty face and the pretty picture, but it's the, the brains behind it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I mean, building on, on what you're saying, like, you know, representing yourself and understanding how to navigate business conversations and also just business, um, you know, uh, business manners and things like that. How do you think, I mean, has that always been a constant or has, how do you think the role of a model has changed over the years? What is expected of a model today as compared to, you know, when you first started and does it require a model to be more entrepreneurial, more, uh, and more of an advocate for themselves as well? Yeah, I mean, starting 20 years ago at age 14, first of all, just kind of fell into it, trying it out as like a summer sort of <laughs> job. Um, and who knew we'd be here today? But yeah, the expectation there was just like, listen to the grownups. They're going to tell you what to do. And then when the grownups say you're done, you're done. And you're going to go home and live your life, the second chapter of your life at age 17, right? So you were aging out before you even came of age which is kind of insane. So no, you were not expected to learn business or the yeah. philosophy of like how this industry works. You were just going to listen to a few individuals and they were going to tell you how it's done. And 
you know what? It has shifted. Like we said earlier, social media has done so much in so many categories. One being that models have, will will have a voice. Um, And two, that they can now show the world what they stand for and what their business is all about. Whereas before, who cares what the model says? What doesn't matter what she believes in as long as she sells the product the way we want her to sell it. And what you, she has morals and values. No way. That's not, that's not a thing. She's going to do whatever we say or we'll replace her. So yes, we have completely changed. However, the mindset of some individuals still in the industry is like, I talk, you'll, I'll talk to somebody and then I can see that they're still used to talking to a young child like model, um, even though I've been doing this probably longer than them, because they've been trained that models should still be sort of this, you know, they look to their superiors or look to their elders as like the ones that will tell them what to instruct them. Mm -hmm. So I still find that mindset of an older generation and even the generation that's been trained by the older one acting like that. So you can ask the, the top models of this generation and they will say like, it's funny how I'm a grown woman. I have a family, probably have multiple businesses, and there's still some people that will try and diminish what you've done to all, you know, the ground basics of, well, you're just a model, and the model's job is just to listen. So it, it sometimes it's a bit of a mind game. Yeah. So some of my models, when they say, you know, I really want to do this, and two, I want to do this because I want to grow confidence, I go, whoa, <laughs> this is not the industry where you're going to grow confidence. You're going to be you know, they're going to break that apart. And sure enough, you always had that type of confidence deep down in there, but it's not something where you're like, wow, wasn't this lovely? They trained me to have such confidence in my body and my self-esteem. It's just the type of person you already were. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard one too. In any, I'm sure in any environment, in any industry, you kind of have to appreciate your self-worth in order to go out there and promote, you know, self-worth to other people. Yeah. I mean, and you started in the industry at such a young age and also on like a global scale, which is like, it must be so daunting. How do you, and, and starting so young too, like, and being surrounded by adults, how did you learn to find your voice and your sense of self in an industry that was full of so many grown-ups in an industry that kind of wants you to be a shapeshifter in so many different ways. How do you find that center of gravity? Yeah. Um, again, you know, early on, there was this sort of dictionary of like how to be a model. You just go in and you trust some people, you get burned by some other individuals, and you sure enough quickly figure out what's your path. Um, and not many models did understand their path. They just kind of followed whatever was told. But then again, the the beginnings of social media, I remember just looking at it going, well, I'm just going to have a blog. I'm going to have MySpace and just do this with my friends. And people who didn't, who I didn't know would be like, oh my gosh, I'm a big fan. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> this was for my family, but I don't know you. And then one day I was um, dating, not my husband, but dating my boyfriend, James. And some big article came out about my body just like a huge, massive um, essay about, you know, how I looked and was I too big for the runways. And I thought, how insane that this writer wrote this story and I had no means to kind of really say what I wanted to say. Yeah, and advocate for yourself. And then I thought, there's this social media thing. Like, I don't know, maybe I have something here. Maybe I can write an essay on here 
and try to, to use my voice. And sure enough, that helped. My story went out. That story was like put to the side and everyone talked about what I had to say. It also pushed uh, like the likes of Anna Wintour, the editor-in-chief of Vogue to say, I'd like you to speak on behalf of models and explain, you know, what it's like to be a model in this day and age to the designers of America. And I thought, wow, if I have your blessing and I have this platform, I think I'm okay to go ahead and discuss maybe the darker parts of this industry and not feel so bad about it. So I've never been one to really be pointing fingers at people. It's more of like, hey, this is happening. Let's try and fix these things. And the more I spoke, the easier it got. And I, I really, I, of course, I've seen backlash and I've seen people not want to work with me because of that. But I had to remind myself, do I ever want to work with them? Yeah. If they can't see what I'm saying as a light at the end of a tunnel, what are we doing? Why am I trying to please these individuals? And with all those things, it built to this moment where I'm training models, where I talk about this so easily. Nothing about it is, is painful for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, all those models in the early 2000s dealt with the same scenario, the same things. The one thing that we all had a lucky chance was social media came at the opportune time for us, but not maybe the generation before and the generation before that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a big part of your story, especially today, is your role as an entrepreneur and community leader, just building on what we're talking about here. You know, alongside your personal brand, you also have Nomad Management as well as Coco Rocha Model Camp. Why has mentorship been so played such an important role in your life? And what's your perspective on nurturing up and coming young talent? Yeah, I, you know, I, I can't pinpoint the moment where I was like, this is for me. <laughs> Um, but I do remember sitting down with my agents being like, Hey, could you just train some of the models in the agency? They need a little help with posing. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I, how do I train people to pose like me? So then in the room, I'd be like making up some, some sort of equation of how to create poses. And they're like, okay, maybe you could train the models for runway at the upcoming season. I'm like, well, how do I train? I just know that how to do it, but I don't know how to train them. <laughs> and then I did a few of those classes to the point that the agents were like, hey, could you sit down with this model? She seems to be having a hard time with her body and her self-esteem. And then it would be, hey, could you talk with this mom? Her, she's having a hard time with her child. And then I felt like I was like this brought in therapeutic uh, <laughs> big sister who was supposed to kind of fix the problem or help them feel good or get them to a better place. And then um, over time, I just kept doing it and doing it. Many models of the generation before me, I remember kind of thinking, besides some amazing people, but that I remember this sort of thought of like, we don't help the younger generation because they're going to take our jobs. And I, when I was in the middle of doing all that, I was like, I just can't see them either taking my job. And if they do, my job, like who, they're going to take it. So let's help them <laughs> because... I still am going to be out of a job, supposedly, and these people are going to take them and they're going to have a hard time dealing with it. So why not help them and be the big sister? And you can see nowadays a lot of models reaching out to other models. Um, never did the girls from my generation ever make me feel like we were competing. Those were my sisters. But a new generation, you kind of always felt like, am I, do I have worth anymore? Right. Am I still important? But it just didn't never apply to me. I just thought, I wish someone could have, you know, held my hand through a lot of it and explained what I was going to be going through. And I just didn't have that till much later in my career. Right, right. And so what are some of the key parts of 
the curriculum at the model camp. Um, and, and are those things that lessons that are learned there, are they transferable skills that go beyond the world of modeling and help kind of guide these young individuals into, you know, a life path in general? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because when you say model camp, any person is like, oh, so you're training them how to pose, you're training them to do run. I'm like, for sure. I mean, that's the fun part. Um, but then, yes, there's the, a whole program on business and contracts, agencies, accounting, taxes, mm. still stuff I'm learning. You know, <laughs> my my husband is the the teacher of that part because he is the manager in our our family company. Um, so he understands all of the books and all that. And it's something that most models leaving camp is so shocked that they that was the most important class. Like the other classes were fun. They feel powerful from them. But that class, they were like, wow, I know what I should be doing next or what I have not been doing. Um, and yes, we have a, you know, discussions on just like the expectation versus reality of the industry. And that's like a three hour course for the girls and guys um, sit down, uh, take notes as much as they want. But we don't record the class. You never see these photos on our social because it's it's private. These these individuals start to share very private moments in their careers and they're asking you know is that supposed to happen am I supposed to deal with this uh it's it's a lot some of the models have gone through a lot not knowing if they've been treated fairly mm -hmm. I think they know deep down no but they just need someone to to kind of guide and help them so at the end of the four days it is called model camp but at the end of the four days they truthfully will always say I feel like a better human like I could conquer anything and I think the biggest thing that most individuals lack is just confidence. And that's, I know it's cheesy, but we're in a billion dollar industry where we're selling confidence. Like we have it constantly. And yet most of these models are just barely getting by believing in themselves. So mm. that is pretty much what I've noticed. It's shifted from, you know, I of course teach them the physical and the business, but there's this big chunk where I'm trying to just say, be so proud of yourself at the accomplishments that you have. Don't always look to the future. Like you just have to always climb that mountain, but to kind of look back and be like, look where I am. I don't think we do enough of that. And sure enough, they, you know, go home and they are so proud of themselves at what they have already accomplished. And now they know Ford, they're going to do it their way. And I think that's one mistake everyone kind of does. Like I'm going to follow the leader because they've done it perfectly, supposedly. And one quote I live by is stop being a second rate version of someone else <laughs> in our industry. It's like, Hey, that model's doing quite well. So maybe I should change my physique. Maybe I should change my motto. Maybe I should change anything so I can have the success that she's having. Most of these models come into camp thinking kind of, if I learn from Coco, I might be Coco, but when they leave, they're like, wow, nah, never mind that. I'm totally fine doing this my way. And I think, mm, we could learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And like, I, I didn't realize that the finances and, and accounting and all that stuff was part of the curriculum. And it's really interesting because, you know, whether or not you're in fashion or whatever industry, having um, ownership of your own finances, uh, understanding your own business situation uh, gives agency, gives independence and um, the ability to kind of, you know, advocate for yourself. And I think, 
um, from someone looking from the outside in, in a, in an industry that is, I guess, any institutionalized industry, um, that is so important because there are people that can take advantage of that. Uh, and they do. And yeah. that's what early on I had a manager, uh, that did take advantage and was not illegally stealing money, but wow, mm. that should have been. And yeah, you start to question everything and who you should trust, but also, I was such a young kid and I threw all those responsibilities on the adults and well, you do my taxes and you do my accountants. And then sure enough, people would be like, here's your money allowance for the week. And here's how much you're allowed to, you know, use for the day. And I'm like, but it's my money. <laughs> and, and, but then being treated like you're a little kid with your own money, but still not knowing how much you actually make and like, what, what do I yeah. have and owe and where is it going? Whose hands is it going through? Yeah, it's insane how most models, even your top models of this day, if you were to ask them right now, like, okay, tell me, you know, where it goes from, from client and how does it get to your bank account and how does it get to taxes? I think they'd be like, I have, I don't know what's going on yeah. in my book. So that, that just tells you like the new generation definitely deserves better, better treatment. I mean, and my other thing is, you know, we're, we we have a modeling agency, correct? And when we find a new model, it is hard to find like a, a good model, not because they're not good looking. Again, like that 360 thing, I'm looking for someone that genuine, fun to be around, really good at their job. And then let's not forget all the business side of things. If I can find that person and dedicate some time to them. I bet you will have a long career together. Mm. But if I just find a, just a typical, beautiful human who does, you know has none of the other things, it's only going to be a few seasons. So I never understand why people kind of abuse the relationship of a model and mistreat them. They're going to leave very quickly, and you're not going to create this empire with them. You're just going to get pennies with them. So it, it doesn't, it's not a win-win situation by thinking, keep it closed doors, don't let the models know what's going on. You know, we're going to thrive that way. There's no way any business thrives that way. Being a little more open, I think, this day and age, people are respect that. Yeah, like the spirit of collaboration and just the yeah. idea that high tides lift all boats, or however yeah. that saying goes, you know, yeah, yeah, everyone no, comes up together. Um, obviously, there are a lot of power dynamics, like any industry that has a lot of institutions um, that exist within the realm of fashion. How how has the word no played a role in your life, and have you wielded it? to empower and protect yourself? And also like, how are you passing that knowledge on to your students? I mean, it, it's so funny how an early conversation comes back always in my mind when I'm training the models about someone saying, you know, you will say yes to everything. And I thought, uh, okay, but not really understanding what he, they meant, yes to anything. Until one day someone said to do something on set and I was like, whoa, whoa. And I thought, oh, I gotta say yes to everything. Um, and at that moment, this particular photographer was so nice. He was like, wait, how old are you? Oh my goodness. No, no, no. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. And I thought, great. This individual respects opinion. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do better and tell people no, when I don't feel comfortable and to go back to that idea of if I say no, and you are upset with me, why do I even want to please you? Mm -hmm. Why am I caring that much? But I think that's why models were so young at the beginning, because they can mold them in any way they want. Not that it's always manipulative, but like, yes, it's easier to tell a child, hey, 
it's okay, just listen to me and all's gonna be well. And you're like, all's going to be well, good, good to know. Uh, and sure enough, it isn't. So no came quickly into my vocabulary, <laughs> although not many people understood it. And I started to actually create what was a no list. So in all my contracts still to this day, it is a list of things I won't do. And before I go to work, um, it is put into my contract and the individual will see it, the client will look at it and they have to sign the actual paper of mine plus the contract. And so I go to work now feeling so comfortable and I tell all the models, hey, you might not have a no list right now, you think you don't, but I would love for you to just sit down and make sure you're okay with doing anything. Mm. And then when they're like, anything, I'm like, anything you can think of, you're good with. And they're like, no, no, no. And then they start to write the no list. And sure enough, they feel like they have a little more ownership of their, their career. But the one question most models will say is, well, would they want to work with me again? And I find that so fascinating. I'm like, why? It's almost like a bad dating relationship. Mm. If they don't like you, why are you trying to make this work? If, you, if they keep telling you you're not it and you're wrong and I don't like your opinions, why are you suffering through this relationship? So what, then once they start hearing it that way, oh, wait, yeah, I don't want that. I want better for me. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, shifting the conversation towards, um, you know, talking about technology and innovation, as we were talking about earlier, you know, innovation is a bit of a buzzword these days. And we talk about it, you know, a lot, and it's kind of a catch-all term to mean all these different things. And so, you know, every founder or entrepreneur that we talk to has a different way of defining it. How do you define, embody the spirit of innovation? Innovation. I mean, you know, I think of, I don't know if it's a too accurate definition, but I just think of innovators are the people that just kind of evolve, keep going with the times, but trying to find ways to just make things better. Personally, it's always been like, well, I want to just be able to do it my way, but I want to do this career. And so I'm going to find a way to um, make that happen. And weirdly enough, you start being called an innovator, you know, innovator because you were so, so uh, before your times. <laughs> and I think a big formula to any of this is always just like, do it your way. Whatever it is, is do it your way because the other way's probably been done and they're going to be an innovator for that. But you don't want to be the follower. You want to find your way and your path. It might not be successful. It might have a lot of roadblocks or it might fail. And how many fails I've had more than the wins. Um, but I will say that the, I won't ever look back at my career and be like, oh, so proud they called me innovator. But I will be able to proudly say, I'm so proud they always said I did it my way. Mm. And weirdly, I think those two things go hand in hand, Yeah, funny enough. Yeah. And you recently kicked off a partnership with Audi to really showcase this intersection between design, technology, innovation. Can you just give us kind of the Coles notes on what that partnership really entailed because it was a really interesting um showcase at the event uh and conversation that you had with the wonderful Jeannie becker but yeah if you could give um a 101 on what that yeah what that experience was like yeah i mean when audi canada audi um reached out um and told me about this sort of uh, ai art design sort of corporation or, or um including my my emotions and all that and they're like and you're the best model that has emotion i really didn't quite understand the 
technical side. I was like, okay, so you want me to drive a car and you just want to wrap something on my head and you just want to see how I feel. I'm like, let's do it. But then when we started to really deep dive into this and I thought, how fascinating, because like I talked at the beginning of this interview, AI is going to be something in our world. We are going to have this sort of new uh, invention, whether we like it or not. And this was like the perfect example of how to use something and make it beautiful. But also as someone, my sole purpose is to make people feel something. Mm. And yet I don't need to feel nothing when I'm on set. Although I, I try, <laughs> but when you're on set, you, you're supposed to play these characters and show the world that this is fantastic, but no one really knows what you feel throughout that day. And then to have this first, my person, first campaign where I'm using a bit of AI and they're saying, we don't care what you look like. We don't care about, you know, the, the outer appearance. In fact, you know, there's the car, but we just want to know what you feel. That was I, I kept thinking over and over, like, that's actually going to be a first. And I bet you a lot of people are going to have these experiences. Like, a car is an experience. You get a car and you're supposed to look at it and be, you remember these memories of being in this car, that the road trips, the relationships, the songs. Um, but if you just take a photo of a model in a car, it doesn't mean anything to you. So for for me, this is like a next level of what advertisement could be, like, We'll look back 10 years from now, oh, wow, we've changed and evolved more. But you will actually be able to know what the model feels like or the individual instead of a facade. So to me, I thought it was actually we're breaking some barriers here. And I just think also for any other big corporate company that like a, an Audi to take note, because some of these uh, companies seem to think that, you know, we've been doing it one way all these years. So we're just going to continue down this path. We know we have to do a little bit better for sustainability. Well, little. We need to do a lot. This has been the hottest month, I think, in the year since, not excuse me, since the year 1200. So I think we got, yeah. we got to work on something. And for Audi to say, you know what? We need to do something. We're going to create something beautiful, but we're also going to keep, you know, our innovative ideas. We're going to make sure that it's still Audi's DNA. It represents everything Audi is. That's smart. So it's it's an you know a whole corporation that goes adjust, shift, do it our way. Potentially, it could do well, it could not, but we have to do something. I think that's why I like to to put my name to to companies like that. Yeah, yeah. And so now you've done you know through this partnership AI simulations, you've done CGI photo shoots and more. What excites you about the future of where fashion and technology intersect with each other? We've talked about kind of people's hesitation and scary things that are coming down the road, but what excites you about that that marriage of those two worlds? I mean, I've always thought tech and fashion have been the perfect marriage. Just some people just don't know what that marriage would look like. And so they hesitate to, to put them together. I remember years ago, um, just really being like, what else could we do? Um, and and now we're really at a point where like, now we can do anything. Um, so I'm actually really excited for this time because this is something where, I don't want to say that I'm jaded, but I have seen it all in this industry. I have seen it all. I've played with it all. And it's been fun and exciting, but I've never felt like I've had this moment where I'm like, what next? Mm. 
you know, so it's like, oh, I know what's going to happen next. This, I don't know what's next. And I think it's quite fantastic and fascinating. It doesn't need to be scary. I think it's scary because we just don't know the answer. But um, at Model Count, we use the uh, analogy of like the, when the car, and no joke, that when the car industry came out, you know, I'm sure the people that owned horses and breeded horses were panicking. And yet there were, you know, hundreds, probably thousands of new job opportunities because of cars, you know, roads being built, engineers, just down to like uh, your local um, uh, car shop. All of this was built around this new idea. So I think we're at the same sort of thing. Like we're building something that we will have thousands, if I've heard right, was like tens of thousands new job opportunities that we just don't know what they are yet. And I think fashion will have it as well. So it'll be fascinating what a model slash boom, 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 you will be in the future. Just don't know what that means yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, just as we kind of wrap up here soon, um, just to kind of summarize, I guess, like what is a lesson that took you the longest to learn about yourself? Yeah, the longest to learn. Um, that's a good one. I think looking back, although it was only a few years to learn it, it still felt like a whole chapter of my life where I was saying that I wanted to do this career my way and I really was pushing for it to be my way, but ultimately nothing was going my way. I had what I felt like a bit of a uh, a pause in my career at the bright age of 18. <laughs> And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm over this. I'm overwhelmed by it. I can't seem to get a hold of anything. Um, so I, I took a pause. And then I was bored. <laughs> and I realized I just needed a little break. I came back to New York and I had said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm really doing it my way. And sat down with my team and explained down to detail of what that meant and how we were going to have to do it differently in order for me to succeed and just physically mentally not burn out and succeed i also found myself in a new relationship meaning my one and only relationship of james my husband and he also was just this outside opinion a point of view that had nothing with this industry which was so um helpful that i realized i was so in, in one world that i had no understanding of anything else no perspective of anything else and then to have someone else's perspective who had nothing to do with this industry, just kind of shine a light of like, this is not the only thing. Um, and that's probably when all the ideas did come to light. When James came to my life, he was like, why don't you try this thing? I'm like, well, I don't know. They say don't. Why not? And he would always respond with, why not? And I could never answer why. And that would always be the, the our little joke that I was like, well, clearly this is going to be a great idea. If you can't <laughs> give me an answer to why not, um, we have to try it. And sure enough, you big moments in my career that you can think of if it is being an entrepreneur or businesswoman, it would be thanks to that outside opinion that kind of shifted my idea that there are more than one idea. Just like I try to train the models, there's more than one type of beauty, there's more than one type of um, plan. But as long as we can respect the different ideas 
then I think uh, it's deserving of a try. Yeah, yeah. Last question, and this is how we always kind of end off. But at the end of the day, what's your mission and purpose as Coco, the the human being? <laughs> Coco, the human being, is mom one thousand percent. That is where my focus is now. As much as people are like, wow, the businesses and the opportunities and everything you do, I really truthfully only care about being mom and being a really good mom um so at the end of the day it is you know putting my kids to sleep they all sleep in the same room and they have bunk beds and mom gets her own bunk bed she wants to sleep over too and just talking to them and i love when my oldest says this was a great day and the great day could mean we were at disneyland or it could mean we were just you know right now we we had to go to the the dentist and her and i got a sushi after and that's just a great day you know their perspective of a big thing or small thing but doesn't matter to them as long as i was with you and you know you you killed it mom you were amazing mom like that's all i truly want i just want them to have the best childhood not to say i didn't have but i think of my young years of modeling i was a child working and i just want them to not have to suffer in any way i want them to to be good kids and learn but i just don't feel like what a lot of the beginnings of my career they ever need to experience that sort of hurt or pain or hatred i just want them to have the best life so i think we're doing it i think they're <laughs> having the best life if you enjoyed this episode we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked, who you'd like to see on the show, and anything else you want to share. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission? <laughs>